Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code WELCOME to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code WELCOME at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. I got to admit, I was so caught up in all the playoff stuff that earlier this week, I don't think that we even really went through the the draft lottery. Eh. Whoops. Anyway, uh, happy Friday to you all. We're at the end of another week. I think this is, did I say this was the sixth week of off-season shows? I've hit that point now of the off-season where I claim I was going to keep track and then I always screw it up. One, two, three, four... Five, six. Yeah, this is off-season show number 30. Holy crap! <laughs> Thought I'd go with the outsized reaction to it. But, uh, so you guys likely already know this, but the draft lottery, and I think we did mention that the Spurs won it. That was back on Tuesday afternoon, evening, depending on what part of the country. I guess, I hard for me to say. Well, it was... You should give the time locally where the thing happened. So it was like 8 p.m. Eastern on Tuesday night. Spurs won it. And the conspiracy theorists have a, well, a decent amount, actually, of ammunition. Because every time the Spurs tank for one year, they get a generational talent. Hello, Timothy Duncan. Hornets, number two pick. That's fun for them. They have a lot of talent on that team. So you throw a number two pick in and a healthy LaMelo ball. They're kind of interesting. Blazers, number three pick. That's good for them. Team's moved up a little bit. Rockets and Pistons were unfortunately the ones who kind of took it on the chin with the move-ups. Well, yeah, that's accurate. Pistons had the worst record in the NBA, and they ended up with a five pick. That's atrocious. How do we let that happen? Woof. Hornets were only the first, fourth worst. Blazers were fifth, right? Yeah. It's not crazy. I mean, odds are odds. 14%, 11%, stuff like that. Like, it's not that insane to think that uh, teams can shuffle up the board a little bit, but... That uh, that kind of sucks for the Rockets. Pistons at least got Cade. You know, they got their one. You feel like when a team goes into f- mega tank mode, three, four years in a row, whatever it is, at some point they should get, like, some superstar level guy. Oh, well. Sorry, Pistons. Sorry, Rockets. We're already hearing the Pistons are thinking about shopping their number five pick. Rockets have other news of the day that actually makes a bigger splash here the rest of the lottery by the way spurs hornets blazers rockets pistons that's the top five orlando and then you know you work up the board in basically reverse order more or less magic pacers wizards jazz mavs moved up there a little bit magic uh got the bulls pick thunder raptors and pelicans 
I don't know why we forgot to do that on Wednesday, but we did, so we're doing it now. That's your draft lottery. I have no additional thoughts on it. We'll do a few shows in June with uh, some of our internal folks here at Sports Ethos that study the draft and can tell us who to watch for. Because remember, we had um, William Harris and David Williams both came on the show, who I'm realizing now are kind of like a Wheel of Fortune category. David William Harris told us to watch out for Mark Williams, speaking of the overlapping name. And sure enough, when the Hornets went into sort of a semi-tank, there was Big Mark coming through with a nice post-All-Star break run. And then they went into the three-center rotation with everybody getting a day off, but whatever, we had worried too much about that. So uh, that's what we'll talk about uh, once we get into June. For now, I just wanted to throw that out there because we forgot to do it earlier this week. This is a Friday edition of the show, so uh, we'll do a little preview of both series over the weekend. And as we continue to run farther and farther behind the good folks over at Sports Ethos, today is also the day to break down the Toronto Raptors on the show. Much to the delight, I'm sure, of the great Mike Pasador here at Sports Ethos. Resident Raptors fan and uh, somewhat, <laughs> and Raptors cynic, I suppose, because it's been weird for Toronto lately. And we'll dive into that in about 10 seconds. But first, hi! Hello, I'm Dan Bespers, at Dan Bespers on Twitter. I hope that you guys will hang out with me over there at some point. We don't do a lot on Twitter during the offseason. I learned over the years that you don't want to hammer tweet through the offseason or people are just going to block you. Or just unfollow because people don't want to hear. They don't want NBA fantasy threads in May because there isn't a whole lot they can do with it right now. And the reason we do these podcasts through the offseason, Monday through Friday, is just to kind of bank data. I don't know about you guys. Uh, so I'm the kind of person who, going through school, now mind you, that was a ugh, exceedingly long time ago now. Oh, man, I got like a 20, no, that's not true. Oh, good Lord, it is kind of true. I think I have a 20-year college reunion coming up not too far from now. Oh, no. Oh, no. The humanity of it all. So, uh, I don't know, I lost my train of thought. The, <laughs> what the hell was I talking about, he said, knowing he could just pause the recording and go back. I am a, by the way, this is what we were talking about. I am a learner. I learn by just sort of like speaking something or writing something, and it kind of just settles in my brain. That's the way I learn. Thinking back to college, late high school, stuff like that. I could study for tests by just making a massive cheat sheet for the test. Even if it wasn't allowed in. You know, I had some tests where you could bring in one page of notes or something like that. And I'd do this. My, my parents called it microdot font. Which, it was like a size 4 font that I would just write with my hand. With tremendous penmanship. I have excellent penmanship. And by the time I got done writing all of it down, it was all just in my head. And that's kind of what the offseason is for here in fantasy basketball. It's just to kind of write it all down so it gets in your head. And so today, we embark upon the Toronto Raptors, who uh, made the Eastern Conference play-in and won one and lost one, I believe, right? They beat the Bulls and then they lost to the Heat. Am I getting that right or did the Raptors lose outright? No, they lost outright. Sorry, uh, Bulls fans. You guys did go too. 
Raptors lost outright. They were 41 and 41 overall. It was a pretty large disappointment. I mean, following the Mavericks, who I think were the larger disappointment, Toronto was very much up on that board as well. They fired Nick Nurse at the end of the season, which in my estimation is the biggest single piece of fantasy news surrounding the Toronto Raptors. We don't know who's going to be replacing him yet, but I feel like it's fair to say that regardless of who replaces Nick Nurse, that coach will not play the regulars as many minutes as Nurse did. Really let that settle on your brain, because there's going to come a time, I can promise you all this, there's going to come a time this offseason, and the Raptors do have a bunch of names they have to deal with on the free agency board. So we'll get to that in just a second. But there's going to come a time this offseason where whoever is installed as the new head coach, we're going to try to... I I shouldn't even say we, because it's not... It's just like this outside pressure. Who's the outside? I have no idea. Twitter, collective conscious. Somehow we're going to end up kind of fighting with our own brains that there won't be erosion. It's going to be fine, we're going to say to ourselves over and over again. It's going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. But it's not going to be fine. Now, forget for a moment that some of these players might not be there. If you look at this past season, Pascal Siakam averaged 37 and a half minutes per game. 37 and a half. That was number one in the NBA. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Ooh, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your watch party. Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. And right now, uh, so if you look at some of the boards, Jason Tatum has kind of caught him, but that also is including playoff games where these guys are playing 40 minutes a bit more regularly. If you're looking just at the regular season, Pascal Siakam was sort of the runaway there. Interestingly, Kyrie Irving was number two on that board. He averaged over 37 minutes per game. Maybe maybe wouldn't be the worst idea for him to get that down to like 35 or something like that. Not to be outdone, at least not by all that much, fifth in minutes per game during the regular season, you find Freddie Van Vliet, who's also been banged up a ton throughout his recent Raptors tenure. He managed to get to 69 games, which I think overall was a huge victory. And Siakam at 71 was also 
a massive, massive victory. But this is what the Raptors have been. They've been the 35, 36, 37, 38 minute per game bunch. And it ultimately bites them with nagging injuries and fatigue and whatever else you can sort of pin on that specific problem. OG Ananobi was at 35 and a half minutes per game. Scotty Barnes was at 35. Those are the regulars. And somehow they, they kind of got away with it this year. But that's the other side of the equation here. The Raptors played their starters every minute of every damn game and still didn't have much success. There was a certain amount of good fortune in that for the Raptors, it was usually just one key guy out. There were a few, there was like a week or two here and there where they had two of the main guys out at the same time, but mostly it was one. That allowed Gary Trent to pop into the starting lineup. He posted a good season as well at 32 minutes per game, but that again, partially inflated by the fact that there was like a 20-30 game span there where he was starting. And then they picked up Jakob Pertl down the stretch, and his minutes obviously trended up. Pertl, you know, it's not, it wasn't an overwhelming jump in minutes, but, you know, he went from like mid-20s with the Spurs to more like high-20s with the Toronto Raptors approaching 30. But again, I don't want to focus too much on any individual player on this team because we knew going into the season that if the Raptors players could stay healthy, they were going to post some really nice fantasy value, and they did. Freddie Van Vliet inside the top 20 per game, Ananobi inside the top 30, Siakam hovering near the edge of the top 50, Pirtle after the trade, before the trade he was more like top 90, after the trade he was more like top 50, this is all great. Scotty Barnes, the one guy who didn't really take a big jump forward, he finished at number 82 on the year, and then nobody else was of any real relevance. Chris Boucher had, you know, a week here and a week there when enough of the big men were hurt, but not a guy that you needed on your roster all season long. Now, however, we pivot to what's coming for Toronto, and what's coming is kind of a reckoning. I mean that in not the uh, you know end of the world kind of thing, but Freddie Van Vliet has a player option for $23 million for this coming season. I, honest to God, don't know if he's going to exercise that option. Usually you can point at something and say, oh, well, this guy's not going to get that on the open market. That's probably pretty close to what Van Vliet could ask for. And presumably, players like Van Vliet, who've been banged up and don't really know when, when is the tread going to come off the tires probably would prefer, just speculating here, probably would prefer to get a little bit more job security, that is to say, maybe throw an extra year or two on his deal and just kind of guarantee that everything's going to be okay. Like, he might throw away the extra... Let's say he's choosing between $23 million this year and taking like a three-year $60 million contract. Probably takes the three-year even if the average annual value is lower, just because, look, that's 60 mil versus 23, and he doesn't know what his career is going to look like after this year. What if there is erosion? He could bet on himself, sure, but he's basically 30, so you'd say in his prime, but we've, we've seen, you know, the injury bug. Lots and lots of minor injuries with Van Vliet. That's, how, that's the way it's been. Two games here, two games there, and then it adds up to like 15 to 20. 
That's just the way it's been for like four seasons running now. Maybe five even. So it's not as though he's like a super old dude, but I don't know. But let's assume, and by the way, Gary Trent Jr. has a player option for about 19 mil. I think he probably does exercise that. Jakob Pearl's a free agent. Presumably Toronto's going to want to try to retain him after they traded stuff, gave up stuff for Pirtle at the trade deadline. So there's going to be some kind of push to keep him around. If indeed the key players for the Raptors are all back, Siakam, he has another year on his very large deal. Let's say Van Vliet does exercise his player option. OG, he's under contract. Let's say Trent exercises his. Pirtle re-signs with Toronto. Let's say that all these pieces fall back into place. What does that mean for this team's fantasy value next year? Well, the good news there is you can pretty much just look at the last month and extrapolate. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy. So we're not going to deep dive Toronto all that much. Scotty Barnes, by the way, had a better last month. His defensive stats were uh, unseasonably warm. 1.9 steals, 0.7 blocks. That's probably not something that he can keep throughout all of next year. Uh, Pirtle had uh, kind of a rough, like, last 10 ball games largely impacted by a very poor free-throw shooting endeavor. He shot 43% over that stretch. But again, if you sort of stretch it out and you just look at the fact that if you look at Jakob playing 26 to 30 minutes per game, in that range, he's more of like a top 75 kind of fantasy play. And then OG kind of settled back into the 40 range. Van Vliet, depending on his field goal percent, he bounces between basically 10 and 30 when he's shooting 35. 3%, he's back near the third round. When he's shooting 42%, he's up near the edge of the first round, and then it levels off in the second. And Pascal Siakam, also kind of someone where you're tracking the ups and downs of the field goal percent. He levels off in usually, I would argue, around the 40 range as the other guys on the team kind of slowly do more around him. And Gary Trent, super-duper unreliable when there are five players standing in his way. He becomes more of an a stream of opportunity when one of those starters goes down. That's the Raptors. It's super easy. But what if someone doesn't come back? And in looking at this board, I would say the least likely to return would be Freddie Van Vliet. Maybe that's wrong. Maybe it's Jacoperto because he is actually a free agent and you know there are going to be some suitors out there. But look, the Raptors went and got him. I think they would have the best chance to retain him. I don't think Trent's going to find $19 million a year out in the open market. Freddie Van Vliet might find 20-ish million dollars a year on the open market. And so perhaps it's time for him to spread his wings a little bit. Let's say that Freddie's not back. What the hell happens to this team at that point? They've been talking about running Scotty Barnes as kind of a point forward for a while. Perhaps that's the answer to the dilemma. Does that move Gary Trent back into the starting five? Possibly. But at the very least, it gives him more usage coming off the bench if that's where he stays. That's been the story with Toronto right from day one, basically when Kawhi left. If any one player on this team is out, there's someone on the bench that jumps across the cut line. And if that one player is out permanently, meaning on another team, then you reassess and you probably end up with some interesting values there. But if everybody's back, let's say everybody does come back, 
What do I think is going to happen next year? I think Jakob Pertl gets drafted probably right around where he should. Feels like someone that'll go in that kind of like 60 to 80 range, and I'm totally fine with that. Gary Trent probably gets uh, a little bit overdrafted if everybody's back because he did have a mildly successful season this year. Um, but the acquisition of Jakob Pertl made his life much more difficult because it sort of pushed everybody else in the starting bunch down a peg and made it even harder for him to carve out his role. Ananobi is an injury risk. I think he probably gets drafted somewhat accurately in that probably 40 to 55 range. Freddie Van Vliet typically gets underdrafted because he's old and gets banged up. That probably continues. He beat his mark this year, both by per game and by totals, I will remind all of you. And then Siakam typically gets a little bit overdrafted because he's the guy that scores the most on the team. And uh, we know how everybody loves their points. That's the way the world turns. Siakam also a negative in all three of the points league categories. Small negative in field goal percent, not by much, but medium-sized negative in free throws, small to medium-sized negative in turnovers. So he's always going to have a slightly earlier ADP just because of the weighting. Whatever, you know, however many leagues there are that are points or eight cat, whatever that quantity is, it's going to pull his number up the board a little bit. So he's going to be a tough value to find in a nine category league. And that's really as far, I think, as you need to go with the Raptors right now. It kind of doesn't matter. So look, everybody's going to see that little downtick in minutes. We talked about that at the outset of this thing. That's another reason that Siakam probably gets a little bit overdrafted. I still think that Van Fleet gets a tiny bit underdrafted, even if his minutes come down a tad, because frankly, I think I'd rather him just have a better chance to stay healthy. He can probably go a little bit harder in, you know, 35 instead of 37 minutes. It's a small drop-off, but he beat his he beat his ADP by like what? 8 to 10 slots this year per game, and then by totals because he somehow managed to stay mostly healthy. He smoked his ADP. But with that tapering of minutes for at least those two guys, one would assume, maybe other people on the board, you do have to think that overall, and and this is basically what we were saying even without that adjustment, Raptors mostly get overdrafted this coming year with, as I mentioned, Freddie Van Vliet. Somehow, oddly, the guy who probably doesn't get overdrafted. Let's talk a little bit of playoff basketball. God, I love these playoffs. I know that my Lakers are down 2-0, but these playoffs have been so damn compelling. I I can't take my eyes off of it, although I did screw something up yesterday. I had paused the Laker game because I had to get the kids, help my wife get the kids through different bath times. We sort of rotate who's on which child during that stretch. And then I, I came back out to the TV and I meant to hit the fast forward button and I accidentally hit the button to change the channel. And because I wasn't recording, I couldn't go back to where I was. And I missed like the last seven minutes of the ball game. I'm so sad. But either way, it's been a blast. Lakers, they need more out of their superstars, man. This was eminently winnable for L.A., and they kind of blew it. Jamal Murray got super hot in the fourth quarter. That was huge for Denver. Um, but this was a ball game where Anthony Davis just needed to be better on offense because his looks are not hard in this series. He can't have a game where he gets this cold. He just can't. LeBron 
Stop taking three-pointers. Enough. Enough, man. What are you doing out there? Everybody on earth can see that LeBron's three ball is not going this year, except I guess LeBron, I get it, like you need to shoot them every once in a while to keep a defense honest, but sheesh, he's 0 for 10 from downtown in this series. If he makes two of those, if they're in the same game, the Lakers could have won. Stop shooting the three, LeBron. He's 18 for 35 in the series, 18 for 25 from two. Good gravy. But I digress. That's a little bit of the Laker fandom in me squeaking through. It's hard to pick on LeBron. He's incredible, and he's old, and he's still incredible, but shooting those three-pointers is just repeatedly a bad decision. And thinking back again to yesterday's game, my, my LeBron gripes, he took two of them on back-to-back possessions. I think that was right near the end of the third quarter, beginning of the fourth, something like that. Stop, dude. Get a switch. Go beat up Jamal or Bruce or really anybody on that team. You can back down almost any player on the team except Aaron Gordon and Jokic, maybe Jeff Green. Overall, the teams took harder shots in game two. That's the takeaway. Lakers' adjustments were good defensively. Denver's adjustments were good defensively. Some of it was dumb luck. You're always going to get a little bit of that in every ball game. A team, a particular player, hits more shots than they're expected to make, like Rui Hachimura shot the ball well. Austin Reeves shot the ball pretty well. And then other guys are going to have bad nights. Anthony Davis was horrendous. Four for 15 from the field, and a lot of them were like barely contested 9, 10, 12 footers. And he even said it post game. He was like, I was short on everything. That sounds like you were tired, Anthony. So maybe getting home, getting out of altitude, whatever. But, geesh. If AD has even like a half reasonable game, Lakers probably win this thing. Meanwhile, I actually thought that. Look, give the Nuggets a ton of credit as well. They hit the big shots, which is exactly what we talked about on yesterday's podcast. I said, if this game is close, and I think it will be, it's staying under, and I'd rather have the Denver closers than the Lakers closers. I said I'd like, I'd rather have Nikola Jokic. As it turned out, it was more Jamal Murray than Jokic yesterday. But still, the Denver closers in this series are better. They're better. It's the first time the Lakers have run up against a team like that where the, if it's a tight ball game, I don't think the Lakers have the advantage. I said it on yesterday's podcast. You guys can't claim I'm cherry-picking after they then went on and lost a close ball game. But I nailed it. I crushed that damn handicap. I'm not going to get every one of them right, but we got that one right. I said lower scoring, Lakers cover. They did, barely, but they did. So what does it mean for this series going forward? Well, if you look at the next ball game, and and each team, I'm sure, will have their little mini adjustments. Lakers have to find a way. So Denver ran some more kind of uh, switch beater stuff, try to keep LeBron from being able to just pick on smaller guys in the ball game. That was useful. Uh, but Lakers still had a lot of really good looks, specifically for AD, that he ultimately missed in yesterday's ball game. And then on the other side. It still felt a little bit like 
I mean, I, I just feel like the looking at the first two games, Denver has hit more of the harder shots. That's the easiest analysis of this thing of all time. But, you know, the Lakers' defense on Jokic was actually decent yesterday. He never shoots under 50%. Shot under 50%. But Denver had 14 threes to the Lakers' eight. Jamal Murray was just insane. That was the ball game. Someone on the Lakers needed to get warm in the fourth quarter to keep up with Jamal. And frankly, they needed to be better in the third quarter. That was when they saw their lead slip away. The line for game three, like Lakers Nuggets tomorrow, that's Saturday. Games at every game in the series is at 5:30 Pacific time. Lakers by five and a half, total of 223 and a half. I think there's a natural inclination for folks looking at this series to then expect the next game to just be a better shooting basketball game. And by all accounts, it probably will be, but I don't know that it gets all the way to 223. Like, I think it's going to be more than 211. I think that was about as low as this series is going to go. Uh, but there's a pretty good gap between 211 and 224. I happen to believe that game three probably ends in that gap. But I do, I also realize that if the Lakers, you know, if you get the D'Angelo Russell heater game or something like that, there's a very real chance that the Lakers win this, this game three, like 115 to 110, which puts it over the total by a little bit. But that's the range I think you're looking at. Lakers in the one teens, Nuggets maybe about five, six points under that. So it puts you real damn close to the total. Um, Baby, baby, baby lean to the under for the total. Um, I think as I grade this thing out in my mind, I think I'm I'm coming up with about 219, 220, but that's really close to the number. I, I don't, I, that to me is not a, a, a value play in any shape or form. And then as the side goes, I think there's just a general expectation that the Lakers are going to win this ball game, and perhaps that's the truth. Perhaps. We don't know for sure. Uh, I think they've got a good chance to win it, but you might also see what happened happen in the last ball game, which was Nuggets won but didn't cover. Could the Lakers win this game by 3-5? to five? Absolutely. And that doesn't necessarily mean that it's a game that comes down to the last shot. It could be a lot like yesterday's game, where the Nuggets were up by 9, Lakers got it close, and then Denver got, you know, a bucket or two late, and they and, and held on, basically. Austin Reeves got it back down to three. Nuggets hit some free throws. Lakers missed the shot. Then they didn't foul. You know, that was close, but it wasn't, like, close, close. I don't think it ever truly felt in the final minute, two minutes, like the Lakers were really going to overtake them. It almost felt like the Lakers had a better shot late in game one because the Nuggets were starting to slow down a little bit at that point in a way that in Game 2, Denver was actually kind of picking it up. So that's where I'm sitting on Lakers-Nuggets. Slight lean to the under. Little bitty 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 lean to the Lakers. I do think these numbers are slight, starting to get a little bit tighter after we've had some value at the beginning. And then I'll tell you right now, this game tonight, and then they'll play again on Sunday, uh, Heat-Celtics is... Like, game two here, I have no clue. Game one, hammered it. We had both. Heat and the over. Lakers-Nuggets, game one, we told you the over. Game two, we told you Lakers in the under. I'll be honest, when I feel like I know something, which I felt like I did, and I'll be honest when I feel like I don't, which I don't really feel like I have a good bead 
on specifically this game two, because there's a massive trend over multiple seasons where a home team, the higher seeded team losing game one of a playoff series, they come back and they just womp in game two. It's something like 21 and one the last 22 times that's happened. And against the spread, it's like 20 and two or 19 and three. So not only are they winning, but they typically are covering, but the Celtics are laying nine. You basically need a blowout. Because nine is a huge number in a playoff game. We've talked about this before. When it gets to double digits, you basically auto bet the the underdog in a playoff game. Because like games are just not going to be that easy. It's not going to be a, a, a steamroll in the way that a line might indicate. The times we've had the blowouts has been much shorter lines when a team just sort of didn't show up or one got super hot or whatever. Uh, I know that all the trends say bet the Celtics at minus nine. I just can't do it. I, I haven't seen that from Boston, but for like game seven against a flawed Philadelphia team. And I just don't think the Heat are going to roll over the way that the Sixers did. That was a rollover. Late game six and all of game seven. And then in the total, we took the under in the first one. Uh, I think the only time... Okay, let's back up one pace on this ballgame. I think the Celtics win the game. But the question you need to be asking yourself is, do you think the Celtics beat the daylights out of the Heat? Or do you think they beat the Heat in a more reasonable fashion? You know, six, seven points, something like that. I believe... That if you think the Heat keep this ballgame close, they do it with three-point shooting. That's the way they've been able to win some games in the playoffs. Jimmy Butler, Herculean efforts, and then three-pointers are dropping. And if that's the case, Boston's going to have to score to stay out in front. So I do think that, and we talked about this with Lakers Nuggets yesterday, there is a correlation between what you think is going to happen on the side in the game and what you think will probably happen with the total. Last night, I mentioned, if you think the Lakers were going to cover, that ball game was going to be slower and go under. If you thought the Nuggets were going to just destroy the Lakers, you probably thought it was going to go over because they were getting out and running and getting easy looks. I think you can do something somewhat similar in this ball game. Now, I felt pretty strongly that it was going to be the under and the Lakers covering as far as the combo happened in yesterday's game. In this one, you know, I think it's a bit of a coin flip. But if you feel like the Heat are going to cover, I think you could go Heat and over kind of tied together. And if you think the Celtics are going to cover, it probably means the Heat are only going to score about uh, like 98 points or something like that, 102 points. And that's a way that the game would potentially then squeeze under. But which way it goes, I have no idea. Like I said, I'll tell you when I feel like I know, I'll tell you when I feel like I don't. And I don't. But I do think that there is sort of a pace and result tie, zip-tied together in some loose fashion. And then they'll play again on Sunday, and we won't be here to tell you what we think is going to happen, so we'll have to do that over on the Twitters, at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Some wonderful recruits have been coming over to Sports Ethos over the last couple of weeks. Uh, so thrilled to have you guys around. If you're thinking about making the jump into fantasy analysis or covering a team or whatever it might be, please do hit me up. I'd love to chat with you about that. Building on our football and our baseball units as well. And I think we might have even had a hockey applicant. I know Blake was excited about that, host of the Fantasy NHL Today podcast. 
Six off-season weeks in the books. I think that's like a quarter of the off-season, so, you know, at least we're making some headway. Enjoy the ballgame tonight. Enjoy the ballgame tomorrow. Enjoy the ballgame on Sunday. We'll talk to you before the next one on Monday. Oh, my goodness. I almost forgot the most hilarious thing that happened. There are reports circulating right now. I hope you guys didn't turn the show off when it looked like I was going to turn the show off, uh, hit the, the stop button. James Harden is expected to sign with the Rockets in free agency. Oh, it's the funniest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> oh, my goodness. He took a discount to play with Philly this year. What are we doing? Dude, I mean, I guess at that point, the Rockets are saying they're no longer tanking, but what are they doing? So that would then move Kevin Porter off the ball. Okay, well, like we're not going to do a whole Rockets what-if thing here, but maybe we should do a whole show on what if James Harden goes to the Houston Rockets because the fantasy values on that team, just take everything you know and blast it into the sun. Oh, my good Lord, that is so funny. James Harden going from a team that, I mean, Philly's a championship contender. They weren't good enough to really do it, but they they were up there. They had the MVP this year, and Embiid, Embiid really is a very good basketball player. But James Harden, if this, if this really comes to pass, dude would be going from one of the top three teams in the East to one of the three worst teams in the NBA. Is this like, oh, I bet I can get Houston into the play-in tournament? I don't know that he can anymore. I guess they'll, I mean, they will win a couple more ball games than they did this last year, but geez, this is too funny. Okay, now you guys can have a good weekend. You needed to hear that news. It's too damn funny not to talk about. Please, let's yell about it. Let's laugh about it on social media. I'll see you guys over there for the next couple of days. I'm Dan Vespers for Fantasy NBA Today, a sports ethos presentation. See you Monday. When you earn your degree online at Arizona State University, you get everything the nation's most innovative university has to offer. The same internationally recognized faculty, the same nationally ranked programs, the same degree. Learn more at asuonline.asu.edu. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.